Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Rishi Sunak has apparently been reported to the police uh, by the Aleppo party, it says here, for a joke about Nicola Sturgeon. Let's have a listen to it. The forces of separatism are in retreat across our country. Nicola Sturgeon wanted to go down in the history books as the woman who broke up our country. But it now looks like she may go down for very different reasons. <laughs> now, I thought that was quite funny, but also I thought it was quite sort of... Uh, sorry, I should introduce you to Alex Salmond, who's here with us. Alex, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome to the brand-new, uh, beautifully <laughs> appointed Independent Republic of Mike It's totally amazing. Can, can I be in front of the blue and white... You, I mean, we should have had a special blue and white makeup yeah, for you, obviously. That was so nice. For Scotland. But, I mean, I must admit, the first thing that jumped into my head was the fact that everybody in Scotland never, ever wants to talk about this Nicola Sturgeon police inquiry because they all say, oh, it's a police inquiry, we can't say anything. But have, is it your lot that have actually made the complaint, then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone, we get what the chance... What have you done that for? We get the chance to complain about Rishi Sunak. We yeah. just take the opportunity. OK, so it's not actually about right. serving justice, then? Uh, well, no, there's actually a serious point about serving justice. And that is, in Scotland, of course, the, the contempt of court rules, they kick in at the time of arrest. Right. Not at the time of charging mm. in other less efficient legal systems. Like the one in England. Uh, and Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not sure the Prime Minister was fully aware of that. Yes. But he should have been, of course. I mean, he is, after all, the Prime Minister. See, anybody, anybody, even Nicola Sturgeon, is entitled to due process. Mm. Not saying that Nicola was particularly hot in due process herself. But, she's but, not known for that. No, she's not. But but nonetheless, she's still entitled yes. to it. And the, frankly, the Prime Minister should know better. I mean, he's not one of the life's natural comedians, that has to be well, said. Well, I so, said, funnily well, enough, before uh, he got up to speak, I made my own little speech about what you should talk about. And he talked about a couple of the things that I suggested, but not all. Uh, he didn't talk about crime at all, which he should have Wait a minute, I want to get this right, Mike. Yeah. Are, are you actually speechwriting for Rishi Sunak? No, 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 but I was able to um, elucidate my thoughts on this very show before oh. he got up oh, to Oh, I see, speak. he was watching so, and then copied. Yeah, of course, it. yeah, right. but, I mean, he didn't take advantage of everything uh, um, that I suggested. But what I did say, um, Emma Wolfe was sitting here with me, I said the, one, the two things politicians shouldn't do. Um, one is try and make jokes, unless they're yeah. quite good at it, yeah. which they very, mm. very rarely are. And two, talk about football. Um, now, I know in your case, you're a proper football fan, yeah. so you can. But people I'm like Richie Sunak claims to be... He says he's a Southampton fan. But, you know, yeah. they should basically stay away from sport and stay away from, from jokes because, generally speaking, they're not very good at telling them. But then, of course, there's other things. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here fighting because Scottish nationalists, that's what we do. We, we sit here and fight. Mm. Uh, and can, can you now applaud me because I want to be applauded? Right, well, do you stand up and fight, though? Well, I know, I mean... I was, Penny Morden, I, I was watching... See, see, there's a difference... But I, I'm always struck. I, I don't want this to, to, you know, to sound big-headed or anything, but there's so many politicians who can't actually do the things that are meant to be things that politicians do. Mm. I mean, it, 
not everybody can be, you know, Lloyd George right. in terms of speaking style, but everybody can be competent. Yes. And therefore, it's quite interesting when you see people who do things which are not competent. Yes. And Penny Mordaunt's speech was incompetent. Well, we've got a little clip because I want to see that. I, I will never tire of watching this. I might play it several more times during the show. Let's have a look. And when our nation stands up and fights, other nations stand up and fight, and they stand up and fight for the things upon which the entire progress of humanity depends. Freedom. That is what conservatives do. That is what this nation does. Have courage. Bring hope. Stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. Thank you, conference. <laughs> no, I, I, That's the new thing. I'm withdrawing everything. I, I now realise, yeah. having, having seen it for the second time, this is deadpan parody. Yeah. The, this woman is a total master of deadpan she parody. Is. Uh, and the way she applauds herself, yeah. to, she leads her own applause. But, but also, in her head, do you think she's hearing applause that she isn't there? Because she's speaking as though it's a crescendo. You know, I thought I was but, likening it earlier a bit like the sort of the, the, the Agincourt speech um, from Henry V. Because, you know, but unfortunately, there was no, no, there was no cheering in between. Yeah, there was a pause, but then nothing. Well, Shakespeare didn't write in that bit, you know, when, he, when he's, he's on his horse and says, applaud you. And men in England safe for bed and people at the Tory conference who should have woken up by now should right. be... I mean, it's a bit like opening a champagne... Well, this is a Tory analogy. Opening right. a champagne bottle and not, there's no pot. There's no pot. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that is a very good analogy. Because but, it's quite difficult. I mean, see, Penny Mordaunt gets great rave reviews uh, because she's leader of the house, Yes. Right? Uh, and so she, gets, she has all this stuff prepared for her. So you get some heartless Scottish nationalist, and they are pretty heartless, has mm. to be said, stands up, asks her a question and business questions off a Thursday, yeah. and she goes like, campervan, campervan, campervan. Yeah. Nodding heads, donkeys, Tory backbenchers convulse themselves in laughter. Mm. The Daily Express says how brilliant she is. She is quite an estimable character, I think. But you must, we should be able to expect that, that politicians should be able to make competent speeches. Yes. This is a kind of minimum, it's like a driving test. Mm. Now, if, if Penny Mordaunt had been sitting her speech driving test, she'd have been failed. Yes, she would. Um, but we'll come back to that in a minute, because I want to reverse uh, back slightly over what we just did. Um, I don't mean that, obviously, metaphorically or literally. Um, to the uh, report that you've made to the police, because aren't you wasting police time with this nonsense, though? Well, I mean, if the, the police have got enough to do, haven't the, they? Oh, well, if the police think, it, well, I mean, given some of the other stuff they're doing, this seems to be pretty serious, to tell you the truth, Mike. But, I mean, if they think it's a waste of time, they'll say, well, they think that's a so waste of time. So are you alleging that he has made some contempt of court? Oh, well, I mean, in terms of some of the prosecutions we've seen in Scotland, I mean, there have been some extraordinary prosecutions uh, for, you know, people making remarks about this, that, and the next mm. thing, and particularly on contempt of court. Right. I mean, there's people being... You know, well, in the case of Craig Murray, sent to jail right. uh, for what was, <laughs> it looked to many people like a, a trumped-up charge. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, so if it's sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander. But if I was to sit here and, and literally accuse Nicola Sturgeon of all manner of things to do with this police inquiry, are you saying that I could be technically charged by the police in Scotland? Uh, in terms of the contempt of court, absolutely, because yeah. the contempt of court kicks in uh, at the time of arrest in Scotland, not the time of being charged. No, I get time that. of arrest. No, I get that. And Mike, look, there is a kind of serious part. You, I mean, you're always frustrated because you're a journalist, a very good one, if I may say so. Very kind. But you're, you're a journalist, so you want people to 
absolutely be definitive to say things to actually mm. you know, say something interesting. But when people might potentially face criminal charges, there are limitations, mm. and sensible people should stick to them. Yes. And, you know, the person who's meant to be most sensible in these things are first ministers and prime ministers. Yes. And the fact that Nicola Sturgeon herself was free and easy about mm. these things is no excuse for mm. the prime minister to be. Yeah. Find another joke. Also, I mean, Tell a honest, joke about a camp of Well, a, I mean, he told another joke about Keir Starmer, um, which was OK. But, I mean, the thing is, there's nothing in it for him, really, to make a joke about Nicola Sturgeon. I mean, she's already out of the game. You know, she's not any danger to him. She's not going to somehow reunite Scotland behind her. She's not suddenly going to have another referendum and Scotland's suddenly going to become independent. None of that's happening. And that's a good point there, actually. I mean, you know, by and large, I think it's bad form in politics to kick people when they're down. Yeah. I mean, they might get back up and kick I you back. Genuine, for a start. I think generally it's bad form to kick people when they're down. Mm. I mean, I would generally say, I would say that. On the basis to get back up and thump you. Well, there is, I mean, even if you're only talking about your own self preservation, it's so like it's in this a, business that we are in, it's never a good idea um, to kind of. Um, I, can't, I was about to say the word there, but uh, to dump on high from, from somebody yeah. that you think is lesser than you. Because wonder, you never know I, how I it's just, all going to end up. I mean, I, I'm just trying to try, try get my head round uh, this decisive leadership from, uh, from Rishi Sunak. Mm. I mean, apparently you are now decisive in leadership terms by not doing things. Right. Right, so the, the way to <laughs> emphasise your decisive leadership is to change your mind, say, I'm not doing this, mm. I'm not doing that. But I mean, where could this end? Yes. I mean, the Prime Minister could end up doing absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. And I'm sure he'd be brilliant at it. Well, there are some who say that's exactly what he is doing, nothing at all. Uh, yeah, he's already yeah. accomplished that. So now what we'd like to see uh, is actually something rather than nothing. Because I agreed with him that mm. he should do away with HS2. Mm. Um, I don't understand why they're bothering to spend a load more money, though, um, up in the north of England. Because as somebody pointed out to me yesterday, you know, there are other things that need fixing. We found out today, for example, this is the most mm. difficult country to, to get housing in. Um, there's going to be a load more refugees on our streets because they're soon going to be granted refugee status, but we've got nowhere to put them. So nobody knows what's going to go on there. We've got crime mm. up and down every high street in the land. I witnessed some myself this week, shoplifting going on mm. in my local shopping centre, people getting stabbed to death on the streets, people having their watches stolen, cars stolen. You know, there's a lot of stuff going Mate. on and none of that was addressed yesterday. Mate, I'm convinced that, far from just being the speechwriter, why, why, why a halfway house? You should just be the Prime Minister. Well, I mean, that, a lot got, of people I mean, would like that. There's the agenda... It's not there's... good enough money, though. That's the trouble. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but you can write your memoirs afterwards. I could, yeah. But all the things my, you didn't do. My actual do. memoirs are far more interesting, I must say. But let's talk a bit about oh. um, what else is going on in Scotland. Because this morning I see Toby Young has tweeted out a story that says Scotland's mm. crisis at NHS is to begin a programme of reparations to Jamaica and Africa paid out uh, from existing healthcare budgets in a bid to make amends for slavery links dating from the 18th century. Uh, I've got, I mean, I'll, incredible. I've got to admit, when I, when I saw that uh, tweet, and I saw Toby uh, name on it, I thought to myself, there'll be an exaggeration there. But I've delved into it a little, yeah. and apparently it has a basis in truth. And apparently it's, it's to do with a bequest, yes. a surgeon right. uh, left uh, the, the health service, I think in Lothian, but I'm it's not Lothian, sure. It's Lothian, yeah, NHS uh, Lothian report has uh, found uh, that uh, the Royal Infirmary uh, of Edinburgh profited by almost 40 million quid. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I... I all, there's a whole range of things. I mean, look, I, I think, I, I don't actually mind, you know, us facing up to a role in slavery. I don't even mind apologies. But there, there's a lot of salving a conscience mm. going on collectively. Yeah. <clears throat> and, of course, it's very easy to salve your conscience with other people's money, of it course. It is. All our money, basically. I mean, if you wanted to make a, a gesture, maybe this is what they're going to do, then, then why don't you, you know, you set up a, 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 a corporation 
healthcare mm. uh, institute. Well, well, you think they might be able to help I mean, us out? Well, well, well yes. Yeah, well, because our healthcare system is the one that needs yeah, help. Yeah, well, I mean, the Caribbean have been helping out the National Health Service yeah. for generations, well, and often without acknowledgement. Yeah. But, you know, I dare say that the Scottish Health Service have got a range of uh, expertise and a range of things that the Caribbean could do with. Mm. And, and, and why don't you do that? Why don't you set up a joint thing? Well, that, that would that, make that, more sense. I'm, I'm uneasy about reparations. But because... I'm, I, I don't think just giving folk dollops of money yeah. and saying, well, that makes it all right then, we would do the well, job. Also, I, I mean, whenever we have these conversations about um, who's <laughs> giving money to which countries and to which organisations, it always ends up in the wrong hands. It never ends up in the hands of people who are going to do something decent. And, and there's also this guilt. I mean, I remember a few years back, there was a, <clears throat> I saw a story saying Robert Burns was a racist, right? Yeah. Uh, and you think, how can Robert Burns be a racist? And the genesis of the story was that he almost but didn't go to work in a... Uh, plantation ah. which had slaves in the West Indies. Ah, okay. Now, the fact he didn't actually go, right. and that he wrote poems like The Slaves Lament, you mm. know, which had real empathy for somebody in that, right. in that condition. That, that didn't matter. Apparently, no. we were all to say he was really a racist because he didn't actually take a job yes. in the West Indies. I thought he was just a misogynist. <clears throat> well, I mean, people write that as well, but, but, but let's put it this way. He was a great poet, regardless. He was a great poet. <clears throat> now, well, but, what, what I'm saying, but, but the mentality, <clears throat> excuse me, the mentality which says, look, we've got to get everybody 100% perfect. Uh, and if there's a, you know, a, a speck of sawdust in anybody's eye, we've got to pull them down yes. or, or we've got to apologise collectively to make ourselves yeah. feel better. Well, if you're going to make yourself feel better, do something constructive, do a, a joint institute in medical research. Research one of the great mm. diseases which is afflicting people in Jamaica yeah. or whatever. Do something sensible. Right. Don't just say, we'll give you a dollop of money also, and then we're really, all right. Surely not really for <laughs> NHS Lothian or indeed NHS Scotland to, to tell... Uh, to, to do anything like that with, with NHS money, which is basically collected through the tax system uh, by, uh, and paid for by people in this country. Well, I suppose they may have ministerial approval. I don't know what Toby, Toby knows about yeah. it, but it'll be interesting to find out. Well, uh, I mean, given what's happened with Guy's Hospital, uh, where the statue of Thomas Guy was boarded up for a very long time. You know, it sits just behind London Bridge here, and St Thomas is where Boris Johnson went. You know, that was all started by a man who was known as, as a philanthropist, but the reason they covered up his statue uh, was because, despite the fact that he built two hospitals for the poor um, in London back in the day, um, he had links to, to the um, South Sea Island Bubble Company or something like that. <coughs> well, and, and so they said, well, um, are they going to knock the hospitals down now? And, and you debated with me in the Edinburgh Festival beside the David Hume Tower. There was actually a movement not to call the, the David Hume Tower because they thought and on one occasion David Hume, who incidentally was fiercely against slavery, mm. but on one occasion he, he might have uh, said something that wasn't 100% what you would say now. Yes. I, I mean, the, 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 there is a, a means by which this has gone far too far. But look... There's, there's a, you know, I'm a wayward one, no doubt, but a Presbyterian. Uh, and there's something in Presbyterian theology about justification by faith. You know, you're meant to, you're meant to demonstrate by your good works. Yes. I think people have got, have got into a mode where they think they can, instead of demonstrating by their own good works, mm. what they do in terms of what they contribute to society, that if they all say things mm. collectively or say, woe is me, yeah. you know, we've done dreadful things, yeah. let's give you a dollop of money, then somehow that justifies yes. themselves. Well, it doesn't. Well, that's but, called virtue signaling, isn't it? Yes, as opposed to actually doing something yeah, about it. exactly right. And that's what I was saying about the, the money and where it all goes, because, you know, there was a, um, a proposition, I think, in California 
um, that anybody related to the slave trade um, should be the recipient of a million dollars. And this was coming from the kind of um, uh, the, the hierarchy in, in the, the state legislature. But everybody's going, well, hang on a minute. Well, how are you going to check that? Are you going to do some kind of DNA test? Are you going to do some kind of family tree? Do you have to show up and prove that you were in some way connected um, to the Caribbean by no more than two generations? I mean, it's a complete madness. Well, I was just thinking, maybe I should check the family tree again. My you might be able to. Do it. You, you never know. You might get a bit, you might be in, might be in for some Absolutely somebody. right. Mike, we're going to have to find something. What we fiercely disagree about. This is just... I mean, well, on. I disagree with you wasting police time, even though... Uh, I'm sure that that would be nothing further from the truth. But um, have you heard back from the police and what have they said? No, you're not yet. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, Police Scotland are legendary for the rapid responses to uh. just about everything, as, as we well know from recent events. But they haven't actually responded as yet. Mm. But no doubt the PR department of Police Scotland will be judging how they should respond mm. to whether the Prime Minister... But, you know, if, if they were to give the Prime Minister the five o'clock knock in Downing Street <laughs> uh, tomorrow morning, you know, there's, I have to say there's a substantial section of the population in Scotland and in England might be cheering them on. Well, you know, funnily enough, I was talking to another uh, old mucker of ours, um, uh, Alan Cochran, yesterday, um, who was still convinced... <laughs> Careful. ..still convinced that basically the bulk of the people in Scotland, i.e. the majority, uh, don't want independence. Well, I think it's... It, how do you describe that? It's the circles in which you move. Mm. You see, if Alan was doing an opinion poll, he, mm. he'd do it in a, a lounge bar... Uh, the Oxford comfort, bar, probably. Yeah, probably the lot, lot, lots of bar. And then, it, then he's always constantly surprised when it's not reflected in election results well, except or these it is, other though. opinion polls. No, but it is reflected in election results because there was a referendum for independence and it was, um, it was categorically won by but, the, the, the nose. You know what I'd describe that as? I'd describe that as a low blow. Yeah. I mean, I made, I made one small... Well, you did want to disagree I made, with me. I made one small mistake <laughs> nine years ago, and you keep bringing it up. Well, it's the only, it's the only vote that we can look at. I mean, you well, can't say that well, just because Nicola Sturgeon well, and the SNP have been running Scotland for the best part of the last sort of ten years, well, what, 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 that that means people want independence. What football team do you claim to support again? I don't really claim to support any now, no. because it's all become a bit ridiculous for right, okay. me. But I do support Scotland as a national football team. Right, OK. Really well, well Scotland just very occasionally get beaten by England, like in the last match. Yeah. Uh, we get to play them again. Yes. Right, OK. Well, it's a bit like that with democracy. It's not one static thing for one point Well, that depends time. on who you are, you get it? You, you get to have replays and new votes with new generations. I mean, somebody was telling me the other day, I mean, you can vote as 16 in Scotland. That means that nobody under 25 has actually had a say on the question of Scottish independence. Right. Well, maybe they should. Well, maybe they should wait for the next generation, though, because this was a once-in-a-generation yeah, vote. Well, yeah. So who, how many people do you cover in a generation? Well, well, actually, that was very defined. I mean, what, but the point I was making was that referendums came along every 18 years. Right. Uh, well, the way things are going, I mean, I think we should settle for 18 years. That, well, I mean, then there would be another be one in, what, 42? No, that, was just, that was just on the, you know, the basis of the devolution referendum of 79 and 97. Yeah. That was the point I was making. What I never said, I mean, what I always said, of course, it's up to the people. It's yeah. the people who should vote for things. But Look, equally, the, you know the great principle of democracy? Yeah. You should follow the will of the people even when you don't agree with yes. it. Yes. Easy when you but, agree with it. And if people want fine. something in a democracy and they vote for it clearly yeah. and absolutely, then they should get it. And you can't say, oh, well, 
you've changed your mind since the last time. That doesn't cut it, like. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that, but then do you just yes, continue you to have another referendum and another referendum and you go backwards well, and forwards? I, I, are we in the uh, European Union? Are we out of it? Uh, are we in the United well, Kingdom? Are we out should, of it? You can't go backwards and forwards. you should mention the European Union. Wasn't the referendum way back that you wanted to reverse by having another referendum? I didn't want to reverse but, it. Well, somebody wanted to reverse it because it was a second Peter referendum. Starmer wanted to reverse it because he I mean, said I mean, I mean, he wanted to have a second I'm merely saying people should get what they vote for. Democracy is not a static And they thing. did. People are entitled to change yes. their minds. Yes. Now, Although, don't well, forget, Rishi Sunak has now rebranded the word change because he says it's time for a change, uh, but he's going to stay where he is. Well, exactly, which is a triumph of decisive leadership. And there's no question. Look, if you look around world leaders and you say who exemplifies the virtues and the triumph of doing nothing, then the UK Prime Minister is right up there. Yeah. Well, sometimes a... I prefer politicians to do nothing than to do something, because sometimes the things that they do which they regard as something are often but, uh, wrong and, and bad. And, Mike Graham, you've now totally reversed your position when you read out a list which mm. I frightingly agreed with some parts of it, of uh, all the things he should be getting on well, with. Well, yeah. So well, exactly. Let him get on with that. Well, yeah, but he's not doing that, is he? And that's, exact, that's exactly the problem. You know, the point about the whole Rishi Sunak kind of act is that, you know, he thinks that we want him to ban cigarettes. I didn't vote for that. Nobody did. Um, nobody voted for HS2. And now he's, now he's sort of crashed well, the train. I'll give you this, mate. Having watched you in action, mm. in person, yes. in front of what might be described as a slightly sceptical audience crowd. at the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival, I, I've got absolutely no doubt whatsoever you could wow a Tory conference. You could probably actually wake them up if you tried very I'm sure hard. I could. I, I, well, I couldn't say that, but I damn well could. I think I would try. Um, Alex, great to see you, as Thank ever. Thank you, mate. Uh, you're going to make an appearance on Plank of the Week uh, later on yeah. as well, so mm. I'm hoping you're going to be on fine form for that. But I'll tell you what we're going to do now is we're going to take a call, uh, because Matthew's in Cheshire wants to talk about the Rishi Sunak speech. Matthew, what do you want to say? Um, <clears throat> good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Um, I'm on the line, my town is on the line between Newcastle and Manchester. Right. And when he reversed the decision, I was, you know, I was thought these are good sort of ideas. It's good, the new rail and road network, but absolutely brilliant. You know, these are things that the North needs and that will benefit us. And then he just went and ruined it all. The, the uh, Klaus Schwab in him rose, rose <laughs> to the top with the smoking ban. Right. And I just thought, oh, my God, he's just ruined everything he's just said. Mm. And, and then it occurred to me that the Conservative Party are the most winning party in political history for a reason. Yeah. They managed to convince people that they're going to do things every single electoral cycle and then do absolutely nothing in between. So we're basically back to that stage again where they're making promises as Nigel Farage has been telling us for like 15 years, and we're going to believe them and suck them all up. And because we don't like Labour and they're even worse, we're considering voting for them mm. again. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting gonna... phenomenon. Yeah, it's really interesting, that, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look back, Alex, to... Um, the last, I don't know, 12 or 13 years of, of Tory government, the only thing I can think of that they absolutely did do uh, was leave the European Union. Um, and we're not entirely that certain. Was a, that was an accident. Uh, well, I'm not entirely certain, really. Well, yeah, well, they didn't mean to. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we did. We voted for it. And as you say, people should get what they vote for. Mm -hmm. People voted for it, and here we are. It might not be exactly as we wanted it. It might not be exactly as people envisaged it. Mm -hmm. But it's there. 
Yeah, well, and incidentally, one of the disagreements, many disagreements I've had in recent years with the SNP is I thought it was entirely wrong for them to concentrate in trying to reverse a decision made by the people of England. Yeah. Entirely right to say we want to make a different decision in independent Scotland. That's what they should have been concentrating mm. on. But saying, oh, we're going to reverse Brexit, which people have democratically voted for, rightly or wrongly, in England. Yeah. The English Although it's, it's said, is it not, that more people voted for Brexit in Scotland than actually voted for the SNP. But we'll come back to that. Oh. Um, let's talk to Terry, who's in Dover. Hi, Terry. Oh, good morning, Mike. Morning, yeah. sir. What can I do for you? Yeah, I'd just like to make a brief suggestion to deal with both, and that sounds a bit, might sound a bit idealistic, but to, to deal with both the, the smoking issue and yeah. the epidemic of um, shoplifting. Now, obviously, Rishi Sunak's main aim on the anti-smoking thing is not so much the older people, you know, as you said this morning with Isabel, to get a bit of pleasure from, from the smoking, but to stop young people from smoking. Now, um, I've said before about, um, you know, crime, most of it's committed by, by, by young men. Mm. Most of them are into football and music. Now, yeah. I thought um, with the smoking thing, with the young men, I know it's a bit idealistic, but, but if, if footballers could speak out and say, look, you know, we stay fit, we don't smoke, right. you want to become a and all that type of thing, it might influence them. And, and, and if it does, and, and, and they don't smoke, uh, then they then they won't steal cigarettes either, so it might cross over to that as well. Yeah, it might do, but I mean, maybe they're smoking something else the, as well. The kids haven't smoked. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things. I mean, some kids, kids are smoking. Well, some are, but I mean, the vast majority of single-use vapes. Mike. I mean, you know, this, this, this the question of, of politicians not actually knowing what's going on yeah. in, in the younger generation. Mm. By an overwhelming majority, it's single-use vapes. Mm. I mean, by inclination, I'm not a banner. I'm more a I'm more to get the price up and yeah. uh, let it take care of itself. Yeah, well, tax her. I'm a taxer rather than a banner. There's a lot of tax that can be made from it. Alex, once again, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you soon. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Police have launched a corporate manslaughter investigation into the hospital where killer nurse Lucy Letby was convicted of murdering seven babies and attempting to murder six more. Joining me now are Talk TV's correspondent Holly Hudson and barrister and former Conservative MP Jerry Hayes. Welcome both of you into the brand new world of the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Um, this is a story that's absolutely horrified so many people, um, so many people affected, so many families affected, Holly. Um, tell us what's been happening, because there now appears to be a development that uh, the, there's a corporate manslaughter charge being looked at. What does that mean, exactly? Well, this is a very significant development, mm. you're right, because as we know, Lucy Letby herself was found guilty, convicted and sentenced. She will never leave prison after being convicted of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of six more under her care at the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Mm. She, as we know, is the UK's most prolific serial child killer. But there's always been questions about the role of the hospital yeah. in all of this as well, and in particular the senior management and executives. A number of accusations levelled at them that emerged during the trial that they missed vital opportunities to stop her, essentially allowed her to carry yeah. out these horrific crimes by ignoring warnings by a number of consultants. Right. Now the police are saying that they are launching an investigation into corporate manslaughter, which is a criminal offence against a business or organisation whereby their actions have 
caused death. In a statement, they say that they will focus on the indictment period of the charges for Lucy Letby, which is between June 2015 and 2016, and consider areas including senior leadership and decision-making, decision whether any criminality has taken place. At this stage, we are not investigating any individuals mm. in relation to gross negligence manslaughter, but I think the key word there is at this stage. That's the problem, isn't it, Jerry? Because it's quite an unusual situation, this, for an NHS trust, effectively, in a hospital to be investigated by the police because of yeah. what's up, what they yeah. might have allowed somebody to do but when it comes to killing people. It's an unusual usual case. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is that the test is this. Do they have a duty of care? Well, of course they have a duty of care. They're the hospital trust. Right. Secondly, um, is there gross negligence? Mm. And that's what they've got to prove. And as Holly said a moment ago, look, you had senior people, senior right. consultants saying, you've got to look at this. This is wrong. Yeah. And nothing happened. Well, right. actually, that's not quite true. It was true. even worse than nothing happened. Well, that's what I was going to say. They discouraged these people from making well, complaints and, and, and told them more or less to apologise well, for making they, them. They told them to apologise. Yeah. Uh, that's really serious stuff. So there's a lot of squeaky bottoms at the moment, yeah. I suspect, at that hospital. And, and what sort of, um, um, sort of recognisance do the police have in this area? Are they able to seek access to, you know, documents? They can see everything. To, to look at emails, that kind everything. of thing? Mm, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the hospital have, have come out with a statement as well and said they're deeply saddened and appalled at Lucy Letby's crimes when the verdicts were delivered and will be cooperating fully with this investigation so they can help get the answers the families and babies affected by this case so rightly deserve because we know the families themselves very much do lay blame at the hospital's right. feet as well. They've welcomed the news and say that anybody who aided the way they see it is the hospital aided Lucy Letby mm. uh, in her crimes needs to be brought to justice. Yeah. I guess that's an interesting word as well, aided, isn't I'm it? I'm not because so sure by, I would use by, the by, word, by, yeah. by discouraging people from making complaints and by kind of not quite turning a blind eye, even that isn't the same as aiding something. No, no, aided, aided. It's, so does aided have to? Is that the? Is that the? No, limit no, of the no, law? no, no. It's it's just gross negligence. Mm. So they don't have to have aided but anything. There's no. no question of there being what we call joint enterprise right. in murder. Right. It's just grown. It's in fact manslaughter that mm. we're talking about. Um, it's really. Really appalling. Yeah. Really dreadful. What have the families said about this, Holly? So they've welcomed the news, as I said, and in a statement they say that anybody, in their words, who aided Lucy Letby as they see it needs to be brought to justice. But to your point, of course, that is not exactly what no, the police are looking into. That's what the family to. feel. They yeah. say that they are reassured that some steps are now being taken to consider the actions of management from a criminal perspective. It will be for the CPS and the police to determine now if the conduct of the senior management at the Countess fell so far below what could reasonably have been expected of them that their actions caused or contributed to the deaths of those seven children. But mm. more anguish for them, of course, yeah. as more investigations Well, that's continue. the trouble, isn't it? Because they'll never... I mean, they'll never have closure, really, I suppose, as, as parents. You. you just can't. Can and you? if they decide to have other children mm. and they go into hospital when she's pregnant, how are they going to feel, right. this lovely nurse? Is she going to do something to right. my child? Is there due care? Is the hospital mm. being grossly negligent? Yeah. But the test that the CPS will have to go through They'll look at all the um, papers that are given to them by the police. They will then say, well, is there a realistic prospect of conviction? That's the test. Yeah. If there is, they'll go out. Right. And does, they, does there also have to be a kind of a burden of proof, i.e. you have to say that whatever the negligence was actually contributed to the death of somebody? Um, or... For a manslaughter, the answer is yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've just been doing a negligence case, um, right. a, a criminal one. 
Uh, and it's, the test there is slightly different. This is care workers. Mm. And again, you have to show that there's duty of care and negligence. You don't have to show a lack of treatment. Right. And um, what about the, uh, the the actual staff at the hospital itself? Because some of them did get moved on, didn't they? I mean, are the people who were in charge, I guess is what I'm asking, during the Lucy Lepley years? I mean, are they, where are they all now? There was only one, uh, Alison Kelly, that was still employed by the NHS, and in fact, she was suspended right. following Lucy Lepley's conviction, and she's being investigated by the Nursing and Midwifery Council. We've also got to remember, of course, that there is a government, a public inquiry yet to come mm. as well, and that has now been made statutory, which means yep. that many of these bosses, many of these individuals, can now be compelled to give evidence under oath. Right. It, it may well be that the CPS and the police will say, well, we're, we're looking but let's wait until the, the results of the public inquiry yeah. because they will have the resources to do things that the police haven't got. So this is going to be a while. It's going right. to be a good couple of years yes. before we see any possibility of that, a charge. I mean, the, yeah, the police at the best of times don't move terribly fast anyway. Um, so who has priority then? If, if there are documents that need to be examined, shall we say, does the inquiry have priority over the police here? I would imagine so because it's a judge-led inquiry. Um, I can't remember, who's the judge for that? Can you remember? I don't remember the name. Well, I don't know, but it would be a senior, yeah. usually a retired High Court judge. Yeah, and when does that all get underway? There's no date set on that as right. yet, but as you mentioned there, it's going to take a long time to take a long through time. all of these She has now appealed the, the, the conviction as well. She has, right? yes. Yeah. So all the while as well, uh, Lucy Letby has lodged an appeal against her convictions and the Court of Appeal say that that uh, is going to be a few months yet or it may Always be even is. longer yeah. before we know whether yeah. that appeal has been granted. Yeah. And, well, of course, she has... Uh, is also going to be retried on one yeah. of the other counts yeah. in which the jury couldn't the, reach verdict. The, 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 the process is this. Uh, you put forward your appeal and it goes before a single judge, which is a high court mm. judge, and he decides whether there are arguable grounds of appeal. The only arguable grounds of appeal are matters of law. It's not a rehearing right. of the evidence. I thought you had to either have new evidence or you right. had exactly. to have an argument for, about... Yeah, absolutely the, right. The, the, Fresh evidence. Yeah. Something Does that wasn't that, foreseeable. Then? I don't know. But it's got to be something which was re not reasonably foreseeable because otherwise it could have been used in, yeah. in the courts. So it's right. got to be absolutely, they call I it fresh evidence. I mean, she can't just appeal on the basis that she doesn't like the... the no, the you can't. Well, she can try, but she won't get anywhere. Right. Uh, but I suspect it will go to court because very often what I do, if I've been defending a serious case, defending murder or something like that, and is convicted and the single judge says no, I go in there for an hour and do it for nothing. Mm. At least give them their day in court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, I guess, Holly, for the families involved, the, the, this is not going to be over for a long time. No, this is going to rumble on and on. And also, on top of all of that, the police are conducting a further investigation into the full time period that Lucy Letby was a nurse. And they mm. believe that, we believe that as many as 30 deaths have been highlighted as concerning. So there's potential for more victims, potentially. Mm. It really is quite an extraordinary story. Well, yeah. thank you both. Uh, very much indeed uh, for that. Um, according to um, Detective Superintendent Simon Blackwell, who's the strategic lead for Operation Hummingbird, as you said, Holly, the investigation will focus on the indictment period of the charges for Lucy Letby, 2015 June to 2016 June. Uh, you're going to consider areas including senior leadership and decision-making to, decision to decide uh, whether any criminality has taken place. So it's going to be a very complicated tale, uh, all told. Let's get some um, uh, some uh, texts and tweets off to you. Um, 
on uh, Chris in Ottershaw says, Mike, surely Rishi Sunak should have a word with Monsieur Macron and the EU that the issue of cross-channel illegal migrants is a security, social and electoral matter, something Monsieur Macron would understand. And if they don't cooperate, the UK will have to take measures to encourage cooperation, i.e. withdrawal of fishing licences, for example. This is, of course, because um, uh, Rishi Sunak is meeting uh, over in Granada in Spain today uh, with a whole host of uh, European leaders, including the Prime Minister of Italy, uh, who's incredibly concerned about the numbers of people coming in uh, to that country, of course, as well. Um, my, in my opinion, says Terry and Slough, if you wanted to turn these asylum seekers and illegal immigrants from coming to this country, you don't stick them in first-class hotels and let them live a life of luxury. Instead, you put them in big camps and make it as uncomfortable as possible for them. It's common sense, really, Mike. But when have any of our politicians ever shown common sense over this issue? <laughs> Jerry, uh, you're chuckling away there's there. A, well, this is what a, the people want. They I, don't, yes, I, no, no but there's a bigger problem. There's a big problem in the in the papers today, yeah. which is we are being invaded, according to the tabloids, yeah. by French bedbugs. Now, yes. I don't they're think coming, they're coming think in small boats. They're coming on the Eurostar, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And Suella Bravman, mm. I will stop the French bedbugs. I'm sure we're going to have that because there's a hurricane of them coming. Well, maybe we'll just put them up in hotels. First-class bedbug hotel. Right. Anyway, listen. Thank you both. Let's talk football now, though. Harry Redknapp is here, uh, football legend himself, of course. Harry, a very good morning to you. Mike, good morning. Now, great news on on one front, at the very least. The Euros coming home. I mean, I remember Euro '96. It was one of the great periods of time, uh, celebrating English football, celebrating um, a football tournament in Britain. This yeah. one's going to be all over Britain as well. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, looking forward to it, Mike. As you say, Euro. Where the years gone? Euro '96. You know, it's, we're all at Wembley and whatever, all singing the song. You know, it's coming home. Yeah. Fantastic time. So hopefully, yeah, we can, the country and Ireland can get a, get behind it again and, and it will be, be a great tournament, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Turkey's dropped out for some reason at the last minute, I guess, and so it's a sort of uh, shoo-in, really, uh, for the yeah. UK to host it. Um, I mean, people say these tournaments don't really make any money, but it's always a good feel-good factor, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think, you know, especially if we're doing well in the tournament, you know, yeah. and uh, and Ireland are doing well as well when they get, you know, they're hanging there for a while. And listen, we've got a team now, a group of players, Mike, that, uh, you know, should be competing to win every tournament. We've got so many fantastic young players. You only got to look at the lad Bellingham at Real Madrid. I mean, yeah. every week he scores the winning goal for Real Madrid or scores, you know, what a talent. And we're full of that Rice, Foden, great young players, going to be banging their prime come the Euro. So, We'd probably be favourites to win it. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll still be well, around would, to watch you it. Would, you would hope so, wouldn't you? Because I mean, often you get people saying Gareth Southgate is a bit too cautious. They'd like him to be a bit more kind of reckless. But he has built quite a good sort of solid foundation of players now, hasn't he? Yeah, but you know, they come through the club system, really. I mean, he, he gets what he, what's around. He's got the pick of so many fantastic players that have been produced by their football club. So. You know, you can be an England manager and if we're not producing any players, it would be an impossible job. But he has got a great opportunity to win something with his group, that's for sure. And uh, I think we need to win something now because, you know, it would be a shame if we look back in years to come and say, well, it's another golden generation like we had, you know, back in the, in the sort yeah. of, you know, 2000 and whatever, 2008, 2010 uh, and not win anything. And uh, so, yeah, we need to win a tournament. We but it, it should be great. Well, listen, um, I, can't, I haven't got time to get into the World Cup thing with you, but I've got to mention Kevin Keegan's here. I don't know if you know what he said this, uh, this morning. He said that he feels a bit uh, uncomfortable, claims he's got a problem uh, watching England lady footballers provide the analysis of the men's football team. Um, he's not uh, alone in thinking that, but he's very brave to come out and say it, isn't he? 
Very brave, yeah. As you say, a lot of people will be thinking that, for sure. Uh, a lot of people will be thinking, well, you know, great. Have the, have the women commentating on the men's football, for sure. But, you know, let's have the men. There's lots of great men pundits around doing the men's football. So, I just think it's gone a little bit, uh, a little bit the other way at the moment. But, listen, there's lots of very knowledgeable women. Out. Make no mistake. And I love the women's football. I followed the, the World Cup. I followed every game, the Euros. I love watching the, the, the women's football. So, but yeah, I just think uh, I can see where he's coming from yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people can. Harry, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. We've got well, to run, Harry Redknapp, top mate. man. Uh, we'll see you soon. We've been following the expansion of ULES as it came into effect in August, and now Talk TV has spoken exclusively to a member of the Blade Runners, a group of criminals vandalising the cameras in London. Have a look. This is what one man can do to the ULES in less than half a day. Back with us here at the studio is Leon Emirali. Um, we were just looking at some scenes there of a ULES um, uh, group of people um, who call themselves the Blade Runners, um, who are considered to be a criminal organisation, um, which obviously we don't condone. But you can see how people can understand why there's a strength of feeling about this ULES thing. Um, we've got another uh, piece of film to show you in a bit, which will have more of the actual uh, people talking about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, this is a subject that's not going away because it's not just in London that's happening. You know, I was told that just the other day that Birmingham's now got a £14 sort of congestion charge effect in the clean air zone. Glasgow's got a judicial review going through. We've got all parts of the country kind of, you know, being told as car drivers that you're going to have to be yeah. um, paying more money just to drive the car. Rishi Sunak's claiming, of course, um, that he wants to be the car driver's friend. Yeah. I mean, you're a former Tory advisor. Um, is he going to get any sort of uh, traction on that, if you if you like? I think he potentially will, Mike, because we're seeing a slight bump in the polls when he announced that he was scrapping this, you know, the, the, the net zero policies. He yeah. was moving back the, the, the ban on internal combustion mm. engines to 2035. And I think people felt that, actually, this is a relief on me as a motorist yeah. because I'm not going to have that cost on top of my head that's coming around the corner. Mm. So, And we did see a bump in the polls as a result of yeah. that. But I think, you know, these... And they are criminals, and we don't condone that type of behaviour, obviously. But I think what it shows is a strength of feeling mm. and a democratic void, yeah. actually, that they that these people feel yeah. as though people like Sadiq Khan have just implemented a policy that they are clearly objected to. Yes. But he's gone ahead and done it anyway. But he's gone ahead and done it anyway. And I was talking to somebody from London Assembly uh, just the other day um, who actually made a really good point. In the initial kind of uh, rolling out of ULES, there was no... Uh, behaviour like this. There was nobody demonstrating against it because people understood that it was fair enough. And then there was a second rollout and that was also thought to be fair. Mm. But this one obviously isn't and there's an awful lot of strength and feeling about it. And also you, you make the argument, uh, and some people who say there's a criminal gang make the argument, well, that you know, they're vandalising property, it's costing taxpayers money. Well, it costs taxpayers money to put the things up in the first place, which mm. nobody asked Sadiq Khan to do. Mm. You know, people suddenly discovered in the early part of the spring of this year that cameras were suddenly sprouting up on their streets and they were going, well, we didn't ask for these and people are really annoyed about it. Yeah, and I think people are not happy with mm. what they see as a government, whether that's local governments, yeah. in Sadiq Khan's case or the national government, imposing on people. Yeah. And ultimately, we just want to get on with our lives. Yeah. And this is the issue. When these things start hitting people in the pocket, yeah. it makes a real difference. And a lot of what government does, Mike, we look at it and think, is that actually going to impact mm. my day-to-day -day life? Nine times out of ten, a lot of it doesn't. Right. This does, this in a big does. way. As does Net Zero. And as as why I'm, I'm hoping, anyway, that, that Rishi Sunak was listening to people like Talk TV, listening to people like me, saying, look, it's all very well saying you want to save the planet. But as soon as you start charging people to save the planet, mm. they're not that keen on saving the planet. Not 
as much as if it was free. Mm. Yeah, and this is it. I think people, you know, broadly want to protect the environment. Who wouldn't want to? But yeah. when it comes at a cost to people at a time when inflation is, you know, high, when the cost mm. of living is high, a lot of people are going to be looking at that and thinking, well, maybe we do need to push it into the long grass just a little bit yeah. so that we can keep up with the rest of the world. Yeah. And I think that's a key point that Rishi Sunak made in his speech yesterday when yeah. he said, why is Britain uh, going further and farther than, than, than other countries yeah. are? And I think, you know, that's a legitimate question yeah. to ask. I want Britain to be a global leader, but I don't necessarily yeah, want again, us to be doing more up, than we up, have to. Up to a point. Again, I mean, you know, it's all very well in times of luxury, if you might say, mm. we can be a global leader. And, oh, yeah, you know, let's show the world how we can can do something better than they can. But there's nothing in that, really, for the population. I mean, mm. you're not going to go down the pub and find people saying, do you know we're the global leader in getting net zero mm. down to a proper target by 2030? Mm. Nobody talks about that. No, they don't. And, you know, a lot of what we, we're doing, a lot of the changes that Rishi Sunak's proposed, actually just brings us in line with the European yeah. Union, brings us in line right. with America. And I think that's fa that's fine. Who were already behind us, in, in a way, right? Who already are behind us. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that the UK is, is leading the world in, in, in some areas of the net zero charge. And actually, there's a good economic argument for I us to be doing that. I wouldn't agree with that, by the way, but you wouldn't expect me to. I wouldn't I mean, expect I, you to. I mean, I, you know, I always refer back to my with Grant Shapps when he was, I think, um, Home Secretary, I think, briefly for five minutes. Mm. Um, and he said, don't you want to be the world's leader on onshore wind? And I went, not really. You know, I don't really think about it. <laughs> no, I don't care. I just want cheap electricity. Yeah. I want reasonably cheap energy. I don't want to have to be paying through the nose, you know, four times what I used to pay yeah. for, for heating my house. Yeah, and, and again, a lot of people are where you are, Mike. Mm. And, and I mean, I look at it and think, OK, well, if we do transition to net zero, maybe there'll be jobs, maybe there'll be economic advantages yeah. from it. And actually, my, my biggest reason to support net zero is to wean ourselves off of Saudi Arabian oil, Russian oil, so that we, we have a sort of safer national security environment. There's that argument that's getting lost, and all we're hearing about is yeah. people trying to protect the planet. And I think it turns off a yes. lot of people well, who are in your position. We've seen, we've seen Just Stop Oil interfering now with a West End play, yeah. you know, getting on stage uh, in the middle of a Les Mis production, and people are just booing them. Yeah. You know, nobody's interested. It's just like, get off the stage. You've ruined my night. I've now got to leave the theatre. We haven't even seen the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and I've paid about 400 quid for it. And similarly, you know, the whole point about the uh, weaning ourselves off is all very well, but we've got another story today about another electric car uh, that's gone completely haywire. Mm. And the guy uh, who was driving it completely lost control. He was basically taken hostage by his own electric car. Mm. We're not ready for those kinds of transitions. We don't have enough electric car chargers. We've yeah. heard already from um, uh, one of the motorway service companies the other day, yeah. people are now fighting over the charge points because there's not enough of them. And still, an electric car costs you more money than a petrol car. So, you know, if they want to make these transitions, I would actually go along with them because I'm not absolutely against, you know, the whole um, argument about net zero. Mm. But it has to be cheaper. You yeah. know, if you want me to buy an electric version of the car that I've got, make it cheaper. Yeah, you can't expect members of the public to shoulder the cost of this transition. Right. And if you do want to encourage them down, the, down that road, which they clearly do, mm. then that's fine, but you have to help them along the way. Right. I mean, yes, electric vehicle chargers are one thing, but there were there used to be uh, subsidies for people to buy electric vehicles and all the rest of uh, things that make well, it a lot easier to do Well, that's why there was a big so. boon in, in the purchase of them, and everyone was and trying to convince us. And again, it was all smoke and mirrors. People were going, oh, but look, the purchasing of electric cars has gone through the roof. No, it hasn't. Mm. What happened was companies were offered discounts mm. on tax and yep. they were offered you know no tax whatsoever if they made their, their fleet of cars electric which is what they did 
And now there's not enough charge points. Yeah, and the other thing is we aren't getting our economy ready for this mm. change. If they really want us to change to net zero, why are we not building more electric car batteries yeah. in the UK? We've got barely enough to sustain yeah, yeah. what's currently here. So if you want that to happen and you want the economic benefits from it, then you need to put in place a structure infrastructure that allows us to do that because we haven't got charging points mm. we don't make enough batteries in this country yeah and essentially it's all going to go to pot and we're just going to be spending our money out of this well, country and, a lot of people and we lose the, the, the electric car is going to end up being the sort of betamax of motoring anyway mm -hmm. because the hydrogen car is going to come along and that's going to be a lot more efficient a lot yeah. cheaper and a lot better so you know take your pick but of the uh the, the three things that rishi sunak announced yesterday the one i think that annoys people the most probably is the whole hs2 conversation because yeah. hs2 for my money, was never worth building in the first place. Yeah. But they've spent an awful lot of time, an awful lot of money, uh, and an awful lot of man-hours building what they've got so far. But I still don't really get what's happening because the way he explained it mm. was kind of cock-eyed to me. He was talking about how there will be a line from Birmingham to Euston, so not Old Oak Common, I yeah. think, yeah. which will not be high speed because um, they're not going to use the bit that they've built already. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. Um, there won't be any connection to Manchester except by the original railway, so that won't be high speed either. Yeah. Um, and then he's going to spend a load of money connecting things like the Don Valley Railway. I'm going, what does it all mean? Yeah, and this is the problem. If you're a year, less than a year potentially out from a general election, right. you need policies that are quick, sharp, easy yeah. to understand, right. retail politics. Right. What you've just described, Mike, sounds incredibly complicated. Yeah. And you need a PhD just to understand And I don't even know happened. whether I'm right, because it's so unclear. Mm. Um, you know, because I was under the impression that they built quite a lot of the HS2 line yeah. from Old Oak Common up to Birmingham. Because yeah. I only discovered the other day that something like 95% of it is in a tunnel, which doesn't exactly bode well if you want to sit there doing any work. No. You can't get a, a Wi-Fi signal. So what's happening to that? Well, this is what I don't understand, and this is my they big... They turn it into a sort of log flume or something. <laughs> well, the, the big bugbear yeah. for me with HS2 is how much money we already spent on it mm. on what is essentially old technology. Right. I just saw today Japan are building a, uh, this advanced train line that's far more advanced than what we've currently got right. in technology for about half the cost of HS2. Right. So you think, well, why are we spending more yeah. on what is essentially old tech that's going right. to be redundant in about 10 years of time anyway, and it just seems like we're spending money for the sake of spending yeah. money, which gets you so far, and I'm sure the right. contract involved have been uh, enjoying themselves. Oh, they would have been well remunerated. Absolutely, they would have been. But, but are we, the taxpayer, getting value for money? No. So I do, I do, I do applaud Rishi Sunak, actually, for taking well, he that did, I mean, he did the right thing by stopping it. But what I'm not sure about is by spending another £36 billion, whether that's also going to be a huge white elephant and a massive error and a big mistake. Yeah, no, and it may well be. I mean, you know, what are we spending that on? It seems mm. to be very wishy-washy at the minute. And I well, think... he listed a whole bunch of stuff, didn't he, including the Don Valley Railway, which yeah. I thought I took the trail. It sounded so kind of quaint. Yeah. I thought yeah. I'd look it up. And apparently it was shut down in 1970, and then it was restarted <laughs> by some railway enthusiast right. because he wanted to keep the line open. And it runs somewhere in Yorkshire. Uh, and, but at the moment, it only connects between a steelworks and something else. Right. So they use it as a sort of goods area. It's, so you're kind of like, so who are you opening it for then? What yeah. is the Don Valley Rail? Are we all supposed to go there and put an old scarf on and, you know, smoke a pipe and go, isn't this great? It's a bit like going back to Stevenson's Rocket. I well, mean, what? It's just such a cynical play to try and get those red wall seats that they that they want to, or they need to, to win the next election. And I think, I think we can see through that. Because right. if you're not in the Don Valley or around that right. area, you're looking at it and thinking, well, yeah. hang on a minute. I'm going, who is this Don Valley what, bloke? Who's he? Who, yeah. Who's Don? Who, how's he going to benefit from it? <laughs> the so Don. I think there's, there's there's a real sort of gap in the messaging that we should yeah. soon announce with that policy, which yeah. people do probably support, 
but we don't understand exactly why he's doing it and mm. what's falling in place of it. No, exactly right. Uh, now, we're going to go back to our top story. We've been following the expansion of ULEZ as it came into effect in August, and now Talk TV has spoken exclusively to a member of the Blade Runners, uh, a group of criminals vandalising the cameras in London. Let's have a look. Vigilantes waging a war on the streets of the capital against Sadiq Khan's controversial ULEZ expansion. Terrorising TFL by tearing down, vandalising and even stealing cameras using any means necessary. The so-called Blade Runners claim they're responsible for disabling and destroying hundreds of the new number plate recognition devices installed across London that make sure motorists abide by the new rules. Ben, seen here, is one of them. A father of three in his 40s, he goes out in the dead of night several days a week, flouting the law to carry out what he calls unpaid voluntary work. There's one on top of uh, the traffic light over there. That bracket is now gone. Speaking exclusively to Talk TV, Ben, which isn't his real name, claims he's behind a near total blackout of enforcement cameras in the Bromley area, one of the greater London boroughs where the scheme's been extended to. There were three cameras situated here. Right. Okay, um, none of them are now working. None. So, um, so first of all, we have a traffic light that was taken out um, uh, at waist height, so that the camera that was on there is now gone. There was a camera that was situated on a bracket on this traffic light. You can see that the bracket is cut. And the camera taken away. So it climbed up there yeah. and sliced that off. That's right, that's right. And there you go. See, get them down, on them. And Ben insists support among the public is widespread, with many hailing them as heroes. You know, you, you experienced um, the, the cheers, um, you know, against ULEZ um, right there and then you can see that we are reflecting the voice of the public. Ben's been part of the Blade Runners for several months now and says since the £12.50 a day levy was rolled out further, they've ramped up their campaign and membership has exploded. started off as a, as a you know, small group of people and... Um, you know, it has uh, gradually grown. Uh, the numbers have increased um, significantly. We're like a, a pack of lone wolves. Um, so we, we sometimes work together. Um, we work in isolation. And, you know, we, we all have this, this common goal. Do your family know that you do no. this? Ben says Sadiq Khan is targeting the most vulnerable people at the worst possible time as they struggle through a cost of living crisis. The members of society that... that, that uh, have less disposable income are, are hit the hardest because if they can't afford to, to change their vehicle then they are subject to that daily charge no matter what. It, it seems that, that the Mayor's Office, TfL and the government are not doing anything actually for the people anymore. Is it unfair? I mean, un unfair is just sort of scratching the surface on, on how bad it is for them. It's, it's terrible. Air pollution in London is at dangerously high levels, according to TfL and Sadiq Khan. This is going to cut those levels, make the air quality better, and also go on to, to tackle climate change. Can you not see any merit in that at all? If the, 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 the figures and, and the statements that Sadiq Khan made were true, then of course there would be merit, but um, he, he doesn't speak the truth about anything. Do you not see anything wrong? with being a vigilante, as many would describe you, taking the law into your own hands. Would you condone that of anyone else? We, we don't um, disrupt uh, 
the general public in, in their daily activities. We, we, we don't block roads, we, we don't um, glue ourselves to buildings or the floor. Um, we target the, the camera network itself. It is wrong there in the eyes of the law, you do understand that? Um, I, I can see how, how it would be viewed as, as being incorrect, um, but um, lawful rebellion is, 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 is totally okay in my book. Are you prepared to go to prison for this? It, it's, it's a risk um, that I'm prepared to take and I, and I do take. How many cameras have you personally taken down? Um, my numbers are over 150 um, and, and they will continue to go up. Do you have a message for Sadiq Khan? We're not stopping until you stop. That's the bottom line. It's a pretty defiant message, but just to reiterate, the Blade Runners are a criminal group. We do not condone what they are doing. Um, but of course, there will be those who say uh, that they do condone what Just Stop Oil did in the West End Theatre last night. Um, and some would say they're both kind of illegal acts in a way. But the point is, at the end of the day, surely um, if the ULES is as unpopular as it is, um, that Sadiq Khan and those people putting up the cameras should expect this kind of activity. Um, and as they say themselves, um, they believe what they're doing is the right thing to do, even if it is actually unlawful. And they're willing uh, to put themselves out uh, on the line for that particular situation. Um, I'm going to say thank you to Leon Emerali. I didn't get a chance to ask you about um, Dominic Cummings coming back, but you can give me a one-word answer. Good idea or not? I think it's desperate. <laughs> <laughs> desperate. If you see him coming down the, the, the Whitehall streets, um, just stop him. Just stop him getting in there for whatever you can do. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense. Yesterday at the Conservative Party conference, the Prime Minister pledged to raise the legal smoking age by one year every year. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't think it was the right decision. Um, is it too nanny-statish? Is it intervention from the government? We're going to find out. I'm joined by the Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute for Economic Affairs, Christopher Snowden, uh, and Ewan Fisher, an ex-smoker who almost died from vaping uh, as a teenager, good afternoon, guys, to both of you. Christopher Snowden, um, I did say this to my producer, Chris, um, that normally when I speak to you on here, uh, you're always vaping and or smoking anyway, so I don't know whether you're doing that today. Um, I have to confess, there you go, I have to confess that I don't understand why Rishi Sunak thinks that he can actually stop people from smoking by telling them not to, because that's appearing to be the only thing that he's kind of done, isn't it? Well, I mean, the idea is to increase the age at which people can buy cigarettes. It's fairly obvious that it's going to be quite easy for people to still get hold of them because this is not full prohibition straight away or even in the first 80 years. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure older adults will not feel particularly guilty um, if a, a younger adult asks to ask them to buy some facts for them. It's not like you're buying cigarettes for an 11-year-old and there will still be this uh, burgeoning black market that you mentioned. Yeah. And it might come as some surprise, I suppose, and let me put this one to you, Ewan. I don't, I don't want to talk about your own personal experience yet, but it might come as a surprise to the Prime Minister that, you know, young people are quite good at getting hold of things that they're not supposed to have. So, I mean, even I can confess that when my mother, who was a smoker, found me smoking one of her Peter Stuyvesant's in the kitchen when I was 12, um, you know, it wasn't really that difficult for me to get a hold of a cigarette in those days. Yeah, no, it's so easy to get hold of, really. Um, especially nowadays, there's not many people out there that, like, refuse going to the shop for children. Obviously, it's a different scenario if you've got, like, school uniform on, etc. 
would say if like uh, Rishi Sunak did increase the age limit, of course, then if you was to go up to another adult in the streets and say, look, like I'm 18, um, would you be able to like give me a cigarette or mm. would you be able to get me a pack of cigarettes from the shop? There's no doubt they're going to do it, you know what I mean? Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like rebelling against what he said. Right. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? And, and Chris, I mean, what's going to be the situation in a few years' time when you've got somebody who's supposedly 21 and somebody who's 20, one of them's allowed to smoke and the other one isn't? You know, it's just a mad idea, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I think it's preposterous. I'm amazed anyone's taking it seriously, let alone the Prime Minister. I mean, you, for example, you could have people in the same year at university and half of them are allowed to buy cigarettes and the other, uh, the other half uh, over aren't. You look 20 years ahead, you're dealing with middle-aged people. Right. Uh, but let's face it, Mike, it's not going to get to that point, is it? They're not gonna, we're not going to do this for 20 or 30 years. No. We'll get to about four or five years down the line as this smoke-free 2030 target approaches, a target that no one ever voted for, it wasn't even in the Tory manifesto, but nonetheless, we're supposed to be smoke-free in seven years' time. And you'll have the public health lobby and the government saying, you know what, actually, it is a bit silly, this. Uh, and if we can ban a 22-year-old from smoking, we can ban a 62-year-old from smoking. And that's when we'll have the, the final push in this prohibitionist campaign. And, um, well, then it will just be entirely a black market activity. Essentially, Rishi Sunak, in his own quiet way, is opening a new front in the war on drugs here. Well, he may well be. Um, you and let me come back to you, because um, you had a bad experience vaping. I mean, this is possibly likely, is it not, to push more young people towards the vapes, because he didn't mention vaping yesterday, which I was quite surprised about. Yeah, no, I do think you're correct there, actually, uh, because if people are smoking cigarettes and they can't get hold of them no more, say that it did completely, like, um, collapse, kind of, and they just stopped selling cigarettes to that sort of age group and it was so hard to get hold of them, there's a lot of vapes on, like, the like black market, like you say, or even just in, like, the back of shops or whatnot, that shopkeepers are rolling out to young people um, I think that's been proven recently, actually. There's a lot of uh, younger like ones, like 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, um, that are vaping all the time, like in schools especially. Like You can go into the school toilets, from what I've heard by like, multiple people and sources, and there's always people vaping in there. Um, realistically, it can't be stopped, but it does need to be stopped. Well, there's vaping shops everywhere now. Wherever I go, um, there's at least one vape shop uh, per street, uh, certainly in the, the centre of London. Um, and as you get further out of town, they're even appearing around the country in sort of more rural situations as well. And, I mean, Christopher, I mean, vaping, as far as I know, uh, from the, the point of view of the sort of experts, they say, well, if you're not smoking, you shouldn't really start vaping. If you are smoking, vaping's better than smoking. But there's not a lot of science going on there, is there? No, there's a huge amount of science. I mean, we, we, we know almost certainly that vaping carries a very, very small risk compared to cigarettes. Yeah, in terms of health, obviously, you're better off not uh, not doing either. But, you know, the cancer risk is less than 1% of smoking. It's not, it involves no, no smoke. Um, it's no, it involves no carbon monoxide. Um, and so, you know, they've yet to really find a plausible risk from e-cigarettes, so long as they are the legal regulated products and, and Ewan's quite right but a lot a lot of vapes more more vapes than I think people realize are illegal to start with it's not just the kids are getting hold of e-cigarettes illegal because it's illegal to sell e-cigarettes to kids the actual vapes themselves from a lot of these corner shops are illegal unregulated they contain heavy metals all sorts of nasty things you had people actually dying in America three years ago um, dozens of people dying because they were getting hold of black market 
THC vapes. THC is the active ingredient in, in cannabis. And it had been adulterated with something called vitamin E acetate. Mm. And it was causing very serious lung injuries. Now, regulated normal e-cigarettes won't be doing that, shouldn't be doing that. Um, so we've got laws being broken already. You know, people are selling e-cigarettes to kids illegally. The e-cigarettes themselves are coming into the country illegally, being sold illegally. What good is creating yet more laws going to do in this area if we're not enforcing the ones we already have? And, and you, in, I mean, your experience with, with vaping almost almost killed you. Were you smoking these kind of unregulated or vaping these unregulated devices? No, I wasn't actually. Um, I didn't use the disposable ones. Uh, I've never, ever used a disposable one. Uh, I don't think they were really around much right. when I was obviously put into hospital. It was more the box mods that I was vaping. Uh, we obviously you get your cloud of vape and whatnot. Right. Um, but yeah, at the time, like I say, there wasn't any disposables really around. Right. So what was it that, that happened to you exactly? What 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 did you have a um, did you collapse? What happened? Uh, so it's called hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Sorry, I couldn't get all words out properly then. <laughs> uh, basically, what it was is I was smoking cigarettes from quite a young age. Right. Uh, I did get into it through peer pressure, uh, like fourteen, okay, fourteen years old, and then um, I stopped smoking cigarettes and moved on to the vapes because I was boxing all the time mm. uh, and I really wanted to like try and fulfill my career and take it to know the next step and right. at the end of the day I did have quite good lung capacity um, even when I was smoking but it can never be perfect if you're vaping smoking whatever you're doing you know what I mean you need right. to be perfect on the health um, aspect of things if you want to do boxing right. so I thought I'd move on to vaping and then I was going to try and uh, come off that altogether and two weeks before going into hospital on the 15th of May in 2016 I was choking in my sleep and a mum knows best. She heard me and uh, she knew that I'd have been very well prior to it because I'd been getting chest infections ever since I started vaping. Right. And she took me to my local hospital and it just went downhill from there, really. At first, they said that they that was nothing wrong with me and mum said, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. Something definitely ain't right. And they put me back on the machinery and that's it. Beep, beep, beep. All the machines went off. Um, I ended up on two life support machines and I was in an ECMO machine um, in Leicester, Glenfield, which saved my life, thank God, and thank God to all the yeah. team that helped me. And what did they say had caused it? Was it simply the the, vape, the vapour from the vape, as it were? Uh, yeah, it was one of the chemicals in um, the liquids, actually, um, and I can't remember what it was exactly. They did yeah. studies on it uh, throughout, like, loads of places, but it was multiple years ago now that, like, they actually told me what it was exactly, but I know that the thing that I had was hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Mm. Wow. So, Chris, I mean, it obviously is quite a, a, a minefield, this business. I mean, I suppose you would say, and I've smoked for years, I don't smoke anymore, um, so I'm not going to come at you as somebody who's holier than now. But, you know, breathing stuff um, which is chemical into your lungs is never going to be a good thing for you, is it? No, no one's saying it is. I mean, the argument is it's a lot safer than, than uh, cigarettes. And, you know, whatever happened to you and whatever caused needs to be very clear that this is extremely rare. Um, we have, you know, millions of vapors just in this country alone and many more worldwide. You know, scientists have been looking at this extremely carefully. If these kind of um, negative side effects or diseases were common amongst vapors, there'd be very, very clear evidence of that. I mean, I myself have been vaping pretty heavily now for, for 12 years and feel a, a great deal better for it. Look, I'm not promoting it except to smokers. And that's really been the government's policy is not to promote it except to smokers. When it comes to underage people, that's important law, you know? And what do you say uh, to 
those who criticise Rishi Sunak for now becoming a sort of nanny statist. You know, he's supposed to be a conservative. They're not supposed to be trying to control our behaviour. They're not supposed to tell us uh, what to eat, where to go, how to stand, you know, who to go with you, all of that. But that's kind of what they're turning into, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, well, I, somebody told me that this stuff polls quite well, particularly with Tory voters, so I guess that's one reason. But it seems to me he was doing quite a good job. I don't know what you think, Mike. I thought he was doing quite a good job before the conference in, in making, you know, portraying himself as this back-to-basics guy who's in touch with ordinary people. He doesn't want to have all these pie-in-the-sky policies, net zero, which haven't been well thought out. And, you know, he's on the side of the, the normal people and their normal concerns. Mm. And then out of nowhere, and under no pressure at all, really, even from the anti-smoking groups who have barely mentioned this policy, um, he just announces this thing. And suddenly people like me who thought maybe he was a breath of fresh air, and I know he's trying to portray himself as a change candidate, mm. just the same as all the rest of them. Yeah, that's the trouble. Um, you and final question for you. Do you smoke anything now? Do you vape at all? No, no, I don't do nothing now. Um, I don't smoke. I don't vape. Obviously, I like the odd drink that everyone does, most people. But other than that, I don't do nothing, really. I'm just trying to focus on my health now because it's just I've got a lot to come back from and it's still not the same as what it was before. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck and thank you very much for talking to us. Ewan Fisher, who nearly died from vaping as a teenager. Chris Snowden, uh, defender of our freedoms from the IEA. Thank you very much indeed. The World of Work. Electric cars, eh? You know, I'm always telling you about them because we're always getting negative stories about them. First of all, you hear that people are fighting uh, over the electric charge points at motorway service stations because there's simply not enough of them. People stop to try and charge their car and they can't get on one uh, and they're starting to have argy-bargies with each other, uh, even though they're very, very nice people and great virtue signalers. Uh, they apparently like punching each other as well. Well, today, we've got an even more scary story about an electric car because this is a car that belongs to a businessman up in Glasgow who was driving it home on Sunday night when suddenly the car took over. It's like something out of a Stephen King novel. Christine, I think the car was, wasn't it? This guy is driving towards a roundabout in his MG, which is disgracefully named after me. Um, used to be a great British sports car. It's now run by the Chinese. They bought the name and they bought the mark, as we like to call it in the car business. So this MG kind of SUV, you see it all over the place in those very bright blue and red colours. Um, it suddenly took off on a mind of its own and he couldn't slow it down, he couldn't speed it up, he couldn't steer it, he couldn't really do anything. And he describes it as like being kidnapped by his own car. Now, he had to call the police while he was in pursuit of himself because he didn't know what to do. The police said, we've got an idea. Why don't you throw your keys out the window? Brilliant. Uh, we obviously know about as much about electric cars as the rest of us. Well, he did that and it didn't make any difference. So the car just kept trundling along um, at a reasonably high speed, 30 miles an hour plus in a built up area. And this poor guy had no clue about how to stop it. So do you know what he did in the end? Eventually, he had to crash it into a police car. He had to ask the police to deliberately park a car right in the way of his own car, which he couldn't control, which he couldn't steer, uh, which he couldn't slow down, and which he couldn't stop. And it only stopped when he crashed it into them. I mean, if that's not a word of warning about electric cars, I don't know what is. Talking to Kevin O'Sullivan earlier this morning, we said, imagine if that had been one of those driverless cars, one of those cars that you sit in the back of while it drives you around. I don't fancy the sound of that at all. But if you didn't need any more reasons why you shouldn't be buying an electric car, here's another one. Because apparently, they take on a life of their own. Nobody can explain it. The company doesn't even know what happened. But they're in touch with him, and they're hoping to figure it all out. My goodness me. Imagine a car that takes you hostage and drives you somewhere you don't want to go. 
The mind boggles. That's the world of work. The world of work. Terrifying. Maybe you should just take the train. Oh, no, it's not running anymore because they've cancelled it. Uh, this is, of course, uh, the independent Republican Mike Graham. We finally got clarity on HS2 yesterday. Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, announced that the northern leg from Birmingham to Manchester will indeed be scrapped. The trouble is, nobody really knows quite what's left behind because is there a tunnel that's already been built somewhere between London and Birmingham? Are they going to use it? Is the train going to go to Old Oak Common but not very quickly? Is it going to still travel to Euston but not very fast? Is there going to be any kind of fast train link from Birmingham to Manchester at all? Let's find out. Let's talk to the chief executive of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, uh, Henry Morrison. Henry, very good uh, afternoon to you. Um, you must have been a bit disappointed yesterday afternoon uh, as one of the people that was looking forward to being connected up uh, to the high-speed train network. Well, it would mean I could have come down and joined you in the Independent <laughs> Republic in person, wouldn't it, Mike? And that would be... That would be an honour that, that obviously, the, unfortunately, the train systems yes. in this country won't give me. So, I mean, I mean, yesterday uh, was a national tragedy mm. for the north of England. Uh, and I know uh, many of your viewers will have seen that Boris Johnson, David Cameron, George Osborne, Jimmy all obviously huge usual critics of Conservative Prime Ministers <laughs> have all come out and, and absolutely canned it. Mm. Um, and I, the bit that people might not realise is that Part of HS2 is also necessary to get across the Pennines as well. And the government's been very hazy about how much the Prime Minister's really committed to that. Mm. Because there is a bill in Parliament that means we would actually start building the line, part of the line east to west, the section between the airport in Manchester, which is the sort of second airport in the country, it's the only other national airport other than Heathrow, right. and the centre of Manchester. And the government seems very iffy about actually doing that. So Yesterday's list is a bit of a fairy tale. There's already some of the fairy tales are already sort of disappearing before right. our eyes. So they've literally taken down the website with promises like reopening the Ferry Hill line right. uh, because I don't think the 36 billion is going to be enough to do all the the various things they said it would right. do. So it all feels a bit like the North's been, well, really, I mean, left 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 out of yeah. HS2. And supposedly that money was then all going to be spent in the north. Well, a lot of it's actually been spent on potholes, and some of those potholes are in the south. So as much as I think the south's really important, I'm not sure that something that was designed to make people up here be able to get to places more easily is really replaced by fixing potholes in the south, which should just be paid for anyway. I mean, right. when Rishi Sunak, Chancellor, he famously never put money into potholes. He, mm. he cut the money for potholes. So he seems to be a, a pothole hater, as in someone who doesn't like filling right. them up. It seems to me he's put a lot of money into a lot of holes and it's all disappeared and when he's <laughs> gone back to get it, it's not there anymore. But, I mean, the thing I find amazing is that I'm not actually sure what's left behind because, you know, I think a lot of people in the north have said to me, look, it's good if we get the infrastructure, it's good if we start getting better connections between Hill, Manchester and Hull or Manchester and Newcastle and Leeds and, and Newcastle and all of that. But in the end, I don't understand quite what the HS2 project now is because... Is there, I, I believe there to be some kind of tunnel that's been built between London and Birmingham. Are they not going to use that now, since they're now going to use the line anyway that runs between Birmingham and Euston? So they are going to use HS2 for the bit of journeys to Birmingham right. uh, from London, just those single, because there are trains at the moment that just go Birmingham to London. Those will go on HS2. And there will still be stopping services from uh, Marlebone and places for, for the towns between them. Of course yeah. there will. So... Basically, HS2 will work as it was always supposed to for Birmingham mm. going south. Right. But Birmingham and Manchester were both promised much faster, easier, more frequent journeys 
between both cities and with London. Mm. And in the case of Birmingham going north and from Manchester going to the Midlands and on to London, that's all disappeared. So what you'll now have is the anyone who ever gets a, a West Coast mainline train, there might be some Man United fans watching. Obviously, they all usually live in London. If they want to get to home games, obviously away games, it's easy for them to just get the tube to somewhere in North London. But yeah. for getting for getting to home games, what they'll find is that, that the first few minutes of the journey will be in darkness right. because of all the tunnels we built to keep uh, people in the home counties happy. So they'll be they'll be dark for a while, and then suddenly they'll pop out, and the train will go through a place or near a place called Litchfield. Uh, down near Birmingham, lovely place, I'm sure. But for the purposes of this, they won't see Litchfield. But the train will slow down, and it'll be on the West Coast Main Line, which we've already tried to upgrade 20 years ago and used to shut it every weekend. You can't do much more, really, with it. There's very limited more you can do with it. And so they'll then be stuck behind freight trains, local stopping trains. And so basically what will happen is there'll be a, a slightly nicer train. It'll be, I'm sure, potentially a new train, a new a new. British-made train, which is a good thing, but it will be half the length of a proper HS2 train because the platforms on the normal railway stations aren't big enough for HS2 right. trains, and it will go no more fast or more frequent. And in fact, one of the problems is you won't be able to use them to go to Scotland or Lancashire because on those routes you need the pendolinos that we've currently got because they tilt. Right. Because ironically, once you put an HS2 train on the normal West Coast Main Line, whenever it goes round a corner, it will actually be slower than the current trains are. So. For every mile you travel north of Litchfield, you're losing time compared to what you would have done if you'd been on a conventional train. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.